Hey, everybody. Are you with me when I say life can be amazing at times, but it can also be extremely challenging? I know. I've been there myself, learned some valuable life lessons along the way, and now I'm here to help you. It's no coincidence you found your way to the Relevate podcast. I'm your host, Rena Olson, a self-proclaimed inspirer of others. Together, we're going to dive deep into raw and honest conversations with real people. My hope is that through these stories, you too will be inspired and ready to tackle whatever's holding you back or breaking your heart. Then you'll be free to live a life of purpose and true fulfillment. I promise it's possible. Let's Relevate. Hey friends, welcome to the Relevate Podcast. My guest for this episode is Hassan Boyle. We are diving into the deep end of the pool to talk about faith and how the slightest adjustment in optics can change everything. Hassan, originally from Ireland, moved to this country about a year ago and has launched a new ministry called Bible Optics. His knowledge of the Bible is truly encyclopedic in nature, but the way he presents it is relatable and therefore translatable to modern day life. You'll notice some construction noise in the background. This interview took place at the new Faith Center in Alpharetta. We'll definitely chat about Faith Center at another time because it's amazing and worth its own episode. It's truly my honor and privilege to share this conversation with Hassan Boyle with you. Hassan Boyle, welcome to the Relevate Podcast. Thank you so much. I'm so glad to be here. I know. So awesome. I know you'll agree with me that God writes the best stories. I'd love to know more about your personal story, including your background as a pastor and teacher, your beautiful family, and your journey to the U.S. from Ireland. Hassan, please share. My story. Well, I mean, we could be here all day telling my story. I'm (laughs) sure there's many people out there have phenomenal stories. Each one of them is unique to the world. And so my journey began in faith uh, almost 40 years ago in Ireland, at a time when Ireland was 99% Catholic. People didn't realize or believe that you could do spiritual life healthily in light of main religion. Yeah. And, and so, you know, sort of we were all set in our ways and the status quo was what it was. And although I was raised uh, in a family of 13 children, Third from the bottom, served in church, did all of the, the routine things that you do as a, as a good religious young individual. I, I was, like most teenagers, totally disillusioned. And mm-hmm. When you get to that age, you sort of deviate completely away from those things because of the hypocrisy maybe or the, you know, the, you know things, things aren't always what they seem to be. Sure. And so you get disillusioned and, and I did what I did as most young people do. But I had a new birth experience, a conversion experience back in 1982. And then... Um, at, at that stage of my teenage life, I was a anti-religion, I suppose. Mm. I was opposed to God, but and I didn't want to believe that there was no God, but what I saw in God and religion, I didn't want. So I was sort of anti-God. I was, was really anti-religion. But I had a conversion experience uh, in Ireland. And, it and you was, were how old? I was 22. Mm-hmm. It was so It was so profound. It was so life-changing. You know, I often... I now know the language for where Paul the Apostle in the book of Philippians in the third chapter talks about, you know, I live to get a hold of what got a hold of me. Mm-hmm. That's what Paul's basically saying. In other words, something happened to me and, I, and you know, I'm still, I'm still trying to grasp what happened. And I, I just had this experience where I put my trust in Jesus 
uh, as my Lord and Savior, outside of religion, outside of, I just wanted answers. I, I, I wasn't enjoying life as I, as I was scheduled to enjoy. I was mm-hmm. doing all the things that are supposed to bring joy, but I had an inner lacking and it, just nothing was fulfilling it. I had tried everything to fulfill it. Had this encounter with Christ, and it changed my life, and I just wanted to tell everybody about it. Met Lucy at that little group who became my wife later, and together, our passion... So a little group, was it like a house church or something? It was a little house church. We met in, in, I'm going to use uh, terminologies here that probably your audience might not be familiar with, and we call it a garage or a garage on the side of a house. It was a a group of people, no more than 18, Mm -hmm. meeting in this little garage on the side of a house, talking about Christ, and, wow. and these were people that were coming out of a charismatic movement that was within the Catholic Church, and uh, looking for more, mm-hmm. and uh, so we went, and uh, my brother invited me to it, and after many uh, pushbacks from me, got me to come, went there the first night, thought they were all crazy, thought, let's get out of here, <laughs> um, don't hug me, and <laughs> I was so against that, and I left afterwards, and I thought, crazy people. Um, and did what most Irish young men do, went to the pub. And the next day was a Friday, and I spent all day in the pub, as, as you do on a bank holiday, only to arrive at 6 o'clock that evening and look around at the people around me that I piled with, grew with, and we were supposed to be having a young, healthy, happy life. And I sat there in my own disillusionment, and I thought, there's got to be more to life than mm-hmm. this. And so in my drunken stupor, I walked the mile and a half down to that little garage because they were having a sort of a little conference. Somebody come in to speak from north of the country and uh, went into that meeting. Uh, my brother was there, his wife, uh, Lucy, who was to later be my wife. My mum was there too, just all out of the charismatic movement. But I sat at the back of that little garage. I mean, how far back can you get in a little one-car garage? Uh, but I sat there, uh, drunk, fell asleep. Never heard a word the guy said. But at the end of it, he made that typical altar call, so to speak, and said, is there anybody here? And I sort of put my hand up and said, look, let's cut to the chase. I'm the only one here that you're talking to because everyone else <laughs> is doing all the other stuff. But here's the deal. Let me pray Let me pray it my way. He says, sure. And I said, okay. If you are who they say you are, I really would like you to take a hold of my life and make a difference and change me. And I, I'll tell you, my sitting on that chair at that moment, I, I, I became sober, but I had this feeling, this warm inner awareness that something had happened to me. I didn't know what it was. I looked the same person that I looked, but I was different. I, I just got, got a hold of me. And the passion to let people know what happened, even though I couldn't explain what happened when mm-hmm. it happened, it just overwhelmed. I went, I, I was like a Paul road to Damascus conversion. I just changed. Uh, you know, I'm out at the pub with the guys morning, noon, and night, every opportunity you can get, every dance hall you could go to. Within weeks, I'm standing out on the same street at three and four o'clock in the morning with a guitar, singing gospel songs to the same people that are coming out that I danced with and drank with. And they all, of course, jived and did all of this stuff to mock and whatever, the gospel tracks and... And they couldn't believe what had happened. I didn't understand it either. Yeah. And I'm still getting a hold of it. But I met Lucy in that little group. We got married in that little garage. Oh, that's so cool. Caught a lot of controversy socially and mm. in our family. So your mom was there. Yeah, my yeah. mom got had a born again. I had a sister who moved over here. We 13 of us, and I come from third from the bottom. So an older sister of mine, she moved to New York, 
before I was even born. And um, she got born again in New York, and uh, I had a sister went over to visit her, and that sister came back born again. Then my mother went over for a summer holiday, and she came back born again. <laughs> then I had a brother it's who contagious. went over. Well, we made fun of them all because <laughs> we just thought, you know, she's crazy. They're all crazy. But I had a brother uh, who was older than me, and he and I, there was no love between us. I mean, I think I felt he was born to antagonize me, and I was born to respond to it. We really did not have uh, love for each other. Mm -hmm. We fought physically uh, every Older brother? Yeah, he was two above me. And um, so we we just, he, he aggravated and I responded, and that was the way it was all our lives. But he went over, he was an engineer studying to be one. He went over to New York to work for the summer with my sister. He came back born again. But he was the one that made the difference. Because the change in his life and his response to me showed me that something was real about it, even though I mocked them all. Mm -hmm. And it was him, it was his constant goading to me to come because God had more for me that made me come to those two meetings. And I eventually yielded christ because of what i saw in him and he wasn't browbeating me he just i saw the the love the in change him he was not like that with me before so and i got born again so my mom was there and uh, you know some some of our family came to the wedding someone didn't mm-hmm. uh, people didn't believe we were married because it wasn't in a church a traditional church yeah. and but we felt that this was it we were going to make a statement and so our life has been full of that push back against the norm Mm-hmm. to promote what this new birth experience. So Lucy and I found ourselves not just, I, I, have, I have this passion and hunger for studying the Word of God. Mm-hmm. The reason being, you know, I've been an altar boy for years and you hear so many things mentioned that you can't reconcile in your head. And, and mm-hmm. We never questioned it because we were told it. But now that I got born again, I wanted to know what was true. Yeah. So I had the book in front of me, so I thought I'm going to study this thing to find out what the answers are. Mm-hmm. Um, but we find ourselves pioneering what became a local church. As so you just started, once you became a born-again Christian, you just started digging into the Word, just teaching yourself. Teaching myself. Yeah. And um, and then people started coming to hear what that was all about, mm-hmm. as I was explaining it. And before I knew it, my living room was full, and then our whole house was full, and then we had to move to another place. And, and, and then, of course, there's pushback from religion and tradition and society and you get all the brandings that go with strangeness or not yeah. being familiar. And, yeah. But you know what? We saw it through. There was about three other churches in the country at that time. Were you working or did this become your profession? We, no, I was looking for work. I mean, I've, I've done all sorts of different things. But there was a recession at that particular time, mm-hmm. so I, I actually wasn't at the time, which gave me that opportunity to delve Study. into the things yeah. much deeper. But no, I when we started it up and became a, a larger community, I started gleaning something off just mm-hmm. to sustain us. And, and so over the years, we pioneered several, many churches in Ireland and Bible school and uh, introduced academic, Christian academic uh, education as opposed to religious or mm-hmm. traditional. So we, we, we broke a lot of taboos in the country. And the thing about walking with God, there's, there's always enough grace for it. Yes. God told Paul when Paul was struggling in, in the book of Corinthians, Paul turned turned to God on several occasions and said, God, you know, can you do something about this? And basically God said, Paul, he didn't say no. He said, mm-hmm. he just said, Paul, my grace is sufficient. I mean, yeah. I've given you everything you need in Jesus. So you just sort it out. You can. I mm-hmm. mean, you're in charge down there. I give authority to Adam. 
So mm-hmm. go change your world. Go take what Jesus done and apply it to your life and mm-hmm. change your own world. Go ahead. So uh, God's grace is sufficient, and so he enabled and empowered and brought us uh, through many years, many trials, many different um, obstacles. Mm-hmm. Uh, but the church, uh, the, the preaching the new birth experience, is thriving in Ireland. There's churches now in every city. And y'all had a couple kids along the way? Yes, we did. Our, our oldest was Naomi. Um, living in Ireland. She's married with her husband, Michael, and our um, grandbaby, uh, oh. Sadie. She's gorgeous. And uh, <laughs> she's a year, just over a year old. Uh, we came here a year ago, just after she was born. Mm-hmm. So it was very, very hard to leave. Oh, come here, but hey, you know what? We were in, in the process, and we believe God was ordering our steps. So it was hard to leave. But as I keep saying, there was grace for every moment. Yeah, You just look for it, God will give it. It's there. There's always grace for everything. And then my son Adam and his wife Mallory, and fantastic couple. Church, yeah. and, um, so they're here in Atlanta, and that was one of the reasons we sort of put our foot down here when we came, and mm-hmm. as we are navigating this phase of our life, mm-hmm. this, this, uh, this new experience that you know, uh, life has um, several seasons in it. People talk about four seasons: winter, mm-hmm. spring, summer, and fall. There's actually five seasons. Mm-hmm. The fifth season. Uh, is a season called transition. Oh, yeah. Transition uh-huh. is when you're caught between two seasons of which you don't know where you're going. Mm-hmm. But in order to get where you're going, you got to leave where you was. Think about when you're leaving where you were to get where you're going. Most people see you depart, and they see your frustration because you don't know where you're going. Yeah. It's a transition. Right. And they see you letting go of, and they love you, so they want you to not let go because mm-hmm. they think they're helping you by telling you, stay or mm-hmm. what you used to do and you, you can't because you're transitioning you're leaving and so you've got divine disconnections and divine connections you haven't had your connections yet but the disconnections are happening right and so you find yourself in this weird place of letting go of what's secure what you know what's familiar and heading just believing that where you're going is is better than where you've yes. been or it's it's the next phase of what you need to go to so there's this transition, and we spent several years in that transition. So mm-hmm. it was a hard place to be, but there's grace for every moment. Yeah. So well, and I up. can't imagine what a big move that was for you and Lucy to pack up and leave your homeland of Ireland and move here to Alpharetta, Georgia. Okay. I know this always sounds a little bit strange or weird, but when you step out with God again and again and again and again mm-hmm. and again through life, for little things, mm-hmm. just believe and just trust and watching it happen, see it come to pass, having patience, maybe not so long and seeing it all work out at the end, having the hindsight to look back and think, hey, you know, that worked out. At the time, I felt like quitting. At the time, I felt God wasn't there. But you know what? He was. And mm-hmm. When you go through that enough and learn that enough, packing your bags, mm-hmm. just a case each, and heading for a whole new adventure in God is not hard. Wow. It's actually easy. Because you realize, you know what, God, we've done this so many times. Mm-hmm. We've believed you so many times for stuff. We've believed you through stuff when it just didn't look like, I mean, it's the most illogical thing to do. Mm-hmm. But you know what? If God tells you to do something and you're believing, he does order your steps. You can, yes. I mean, yeah, I have to believe that. It's, it's one thing quoting and saying, hey, God, you know, the steps of a righteous man are ordered of the Lord. You will never know till you take them. I mean, does he have to write it all out for you first or do you just take the step and let him lead yeah. and guide? So no, coming here was not hard. Leaving Sadie 
Mm-hmm. And my daughter yeah. and her husband, that was hard. Yeah. But there was nothing else hard. Do I have a love for Ireland? Absolutely. I love the country. love what we've done. But again, that was a season. And mm-hmm. I'm in a new season right now. And I'm so I'm more excited about where I'm going mm-hmm. right now than where I've been up to now. So, no, it's exciting. uh, It wasn't hard. That is so cool. So tell me more about Bible Optics, the new Bible study ministry you're leading here in Alpharetta. Bible Optics. I use the term optic because um, I I, I use this term also. You don't see the world as it is. You see the world as you are. Mm -hmm. You don't see the world as it is. Everybody looks at the... The same event, the same world, the same day, so to speak. Same environment, same culture, same circumstance. But you always see it through a certain lens. The lens of your experience, the lens of your interpretation. So you don't see the world as it is. You see the world as you are. Mm -hmm. So you may see an event, and based on your life experience or your, your ups or downs, you have a certain optic on things or perception of things so when something happens you see it through your lane person standing beside you equally so they've lived life and had experiences or ups and downs and it's formed their optic so they're looking at the same event but their optic of it is a little bit different than yours so you're seeing the same event but you're seeing it differently so therefore you're not really seeing the world as it is you know the world as you are and so what's important then is not the world you're looking at, but the lens through which you're looking at that world. Because that lens filters everything. Yes. So, Bible Optic is a passion that we have to empower, enable people to correct their optics so that Mm -hmm. we see things, especially see God the way God wants to be seen. So we all come to the same book, we come to the same Bible, we come through the same experience, and when we open the book and look at it, we start reading it through the lens, mm-hmm. which is our optic. Right. So if we had this happen to us or that happened to us or that's what we were taught or this was the religious way we were, we automatically decipher what we see through the lens that we have. Yes. And sometimes God gets distorted because of that lens or, mm-hmm. uh, or the father figure that God mm-hmm. is gets distorted because of experience that we've had in natural life or because maybe we, we thought that maybe God maybe does, maybe does, and sometimes does. And so this lens sort of gets us to, it distorts the way we see God. And, mm-hmm. You know, how you see God affects how you receive from God. So if you think God is a big bad ogre or he's tight-fisted or something, then when you read the book, you're just going to read it through that lens. Yes. So we, we want to try and fix that lens. We want us to take it, see what the scriptures say, decipher it as best we can mm-hmm. so that our optic gets fixed. Right. So we can see God the way he wants to be seen. Oh, I love that so much. So Bible optics is not a church, correct? No. No, I mean, you come, you come here, I mean, some awesome churches in this area. Oh, yes. Having pioneered churches... Uh, you know, you, you're always trying to create the right environment. For, no, we, we can't undo what's been done. Some of the best environments that you'll ever get in churches are in this area. For yes. me, awesome environments. People doing an awesome job to reach those different demographics. No, we want to complement what other churches are doing. So we don't have a, a denominational preference. We just want to... S- it's a Bible optic. Mm-hmm. No, we, we don't care where they come from, where people come from. We don't, we don't care what denomination, what color, what culture, what class. We just want people to come. Let's open the book and let's just look at God. Let's, let's try and find and, and correct 
maybe our our, our optic and, and, and correct it accordingly and get to see what God wants us to see more clearly. Mm-hmm. So no, no, we're we're not a church, but I, I hope we compliment every church that's in the place. Yes, yeah, so needed. Love love the idea of it. So I've heard you say it's easy to be a casual Christian, but like any relationship, which is what being a Christian is all about, having a growing relationship with Jesus, it needs to be nurtured. And you say the best way to do that is through Scripture. Help us understand why that is so important. Relationships are essential. They're, they're absolutely essential. Everything that is in me, everything that is in you, everything that is you, and the only way for it to be brought out is through relationships. You can't get what's in you out without a relationship. Mm-hmm. It's the way we're designed. God made us that way. And we're made in his image and after his likeness. And that's why God said to Adam, it wasn't that Adam was lonely. I mean, Adam had God there with him. He walked with God in the cool of the day. He job to do. He was taking care of the Garden of Eden, all of that scenario. But when God turned to Adam and said, it's not good for you to be alone, it wasn't that he was lonely. It was that Adam, in order to get out what you is, I've got to give you a relationship because relationships pull out of you what's in you. For example, Uh, the only person that can pull a husband out of me Now, when I was seven years of age, 12 years of age, 18 years of age, there was in me potentially always a husband. Mm -hmm. But it took a relationship to pull a husband out of me. (laughs) So the only person that can pull a husband out of a man is? A wife. A wife. Mm -hmm. In every young woman, young lady, Mm -hmm. there is a wife. Mm But the only person that can pull that out of her, even though she she knows it's there potentially, but experientially, she can't get that out mm-hmm. until she has a relationship. And the only one that can pull a wife out of a woman is a husband. Mm-hmm. The only one that can pull a dad out of a man. Mm-hmm. A wife can't pull a dad out of a man. There's things in a man that only his children can pull out. His wife can't pull that. And even then, his son will pull different things than his daughter will. Yes, yeah. So each one is unique. Each one relationally has the ability to pull out of you what's in you. Mm-hmm. So relationship is essential for discovering who you are. And the greatest discovery of who you are and what you are is your relationship with God because that re- that's why you know the biggest change in my life was the introduction of this relationship that I had with Jesus yeah. when i met jesus and, and and had this relational encounter it brought out of me something that i could never mm. known any other yeah. way and and it came through a relationship it's the only way to get out of you what's in you for god for example we pull the Savior out of God. Without us, without a relational connect, God would never have had to be a Savior. Was there a Savior in God? Always. Was that love in God? Always. Was that compassion in God? Always. Was that mercy in God? Always. Was all of that stuff in God? Yes, it was. But the greatest pull on that, the greatest draw of all that God is and God wants to be was in us. He, had a, he created us had a relationship, mm-hmm. and a relationship pulled a redeemer, pulled a savior out of a, out of a God, a loving, caring, passionate, compassionate God. But he, mm-hmm. he couldn't get that out without us. We, we sent a God to show a love that has never been seen before. Was it in him? Always. Wow. But 
without a relationship, it can't be seen. So truly, as we relate to God and mm-hmm. we relate to God correctly and develop a relationship, not a head knowledge, mm-hmm. when you develop a, re- a relationship, it, it pulls out of God and out of you qualities that you can't get anywhere else. And so um, there's a lot of people, you know, they open their Bible and read. And let, let me just simplify it maybe by saying this. Our relationship should not so much be believing what God's God's word, but believing the God who spoke the word. Mm-hmm. See, a lot of people, when they open the Bible, they'll start quoting what God said. Right. But that's not that's not where that's not the level that it lies at. You don't have faith in the words that God said. You got to have faith in the God who said the words. Mm-hmm. Say that's say that again, Hassan. You, you don't have faith in the words that God said. Mm-hmm. You must have faith in the God who said those words. Right. When people read the word, it's one thing reading and it's one thing hearing it. It's another thing having a relationship with the person who said those mm-hmm. words. When you know the person who says those words and believe in him, you'll act on the words that he says. That's the difference. Mm. Well, I'm just so excited to have you here and, and really thrilled to sit in on your Bible study because me, like a lot of people I know, are I'm a frustrated Bible reader because <laughs> I go to pick up the Word and I just can't engage with it like I know I need to. So I'm so glad to have you as a, as a teacher to kind of hold my hand and say, we'll do this together. I think a lot of people, we all, I mean, it's, it's a large story it's a large um i mean it's a handbook for humanity really is what it is so many of us are going to be as christians go through this life struggling and fighting our whole way and we say oh when i get to heaven what a glorious day that will be thank you jesus i've arrived boy that was tough and 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 jesus said well what about this so what about what And, and what about this and what about the name and what about the Holy Spirit? And what about the Word? What about faith? And what about and and because we don't understand it, we haven't read the manual, we haven't been informed as to God wants us to have a victorious life while we're here. He came to give us life more abundantly. When when He said, "I have come that you might have life and have it more abundantly," He wasn't standing in a graveyard talking right. to a bunch of heads. Right. He was talking to living people right. who obviously weren't living life. Like they were intended abundantly. To. So he said, "Here, guys, I, I didn't come to get you to heaven. I came to bless you on the journey there. I came to give you victory as you're going there. I, I came to give you a life that was meant to be lived. And when you arrive there, it'll just be the extension of that journey. It'll just be the destination of the trip. But I don't want you to have to, you know, have a miserable trip. Right. And some people think, well, you know, God give me this misery, and I just got to put up with it until I get there." Mm-hmm. Now there's a lot of promises in that word that God wants us to enjoy if we just understood the manual. Wow, that's so good, Hassan. And I think to be living a, a fully engaged Christian life doesn't mean that you're not going to have your share of problems along the way. Exactly. We're, we're in a world. We're in a fallen world. Mm-hmm. And you know there are issues. I mean, it, it's a broken world. The world we live in is broken. It's not the way God intended it to be. Man isn't what God had hoped he would be. But fully understanding what would become of us, he provided a manner or a way or a means by which we could live life, but live it in abundance, live it from a perspective that is 
authoritative perspective that is wholesome and healthy and so but every part of that is applied by faith so it's just believing that what jesus did when he did it was to enable us to to or empower us to live that life okay hassan let's talk about wisdom versus understanding of scripture what's the difference and why is it important for us to be seeking one over the other solomon who was gifted by god with phenomenal wisdom he makes a statement in proverbs the fourth chapter in the seventh verse and he says this he says wisdom is the principal thing therefore get wisdom what he's saying there is what we're after is to be able to apply wisdom to your everyday life wisdom is actually the correct application of knowledge taking knowledge and and applying it correctly in your life that's what wisdom is simple so he says wisdom is the principal thing therefore get wisdom in order to get wisdom you've got to have knowledge because wisdom is the correct application of knowledge so in order to have wisdom you've got to have knowledge so knowledge comes first and then the outworking of that knowledge or the correct outworking of that knowledge is called wisdom but here's the way solomon puts it and it's so accurate he says wisdom is the principal thing therefore get wisdom but in all you're getting get understanding mm. See, there's three things. Yeah. You got knowledge. The end result, if it's done properly, is wisdom, the application of it in your everyday life. But the piece in between is called understanding. So you have knowledge, understanding, and wisdom. Mm -hmm. Without the middle part, without the understanding, you can't apply that knowledge that you're getting. So you can read the book, but if you don't understand what it's about, you'll never be able to apply it to your life. So what happens to people is they read the book, don't understand what it is, go to church, and don't always necessarily find out what that means either. Mm -hmm. Only to have to come back the next week and hear it again, and hear it again, and they hear the word, and they read the word, and they talk about the word, but nobody brings understanding. Nobody explains how that word works, mm -hmm. why it works the way it works, how it works the way it should work. And as a result, you're constantly in this cycle of knowledge without understanding. Knowledge without understanding you can't apply it so you have to trust somebody else to apply it for you to pray for you to believe for you mm -hmm. and and you're just never in that position of applying it to your life you're just you're not applying wisdom to your life because you you're missing understanding jesus put it this way in matthew chapter 13 verse 19 jesus is talking about the parable of the sower sowing the word into the hearts of men the different types of ground and as he explains that parable in Matthew 13, Jesus said, These are they where the word is sown, such as receive the word and have no understanding, and the devil comes immediately and steals away the word that was sown in their hearts. Or what he basically says is, if you don't understand what you've just been shown in the word, the devil will take it off you before you hit the car park. So there's a lot of people who go to church, listen to what the word said, and by the time they get to the car park, because they didn't understand what it was about, it's gone. It's just gone. Yeah. And you know what? You ask them tomorrow or the next day what that was all about, they don't remember. They have no idea what the pastor spoke about Sunday last or the Sunday before mm -hmm. that. Never mind the Sunday before that is totally gone. You sit in a church and somebody takes the word out and brings you an understanding of what that does, how to join the dots, where that sits relevant to applying it to your life and teaches you what it's for and how to apply it, and you go out and do it and it works. 
You don't need me anymore to teach you that because you now know how that operates. It's like the we're in the phase center here where they're yeah. doing the building. Little construction. Here. You can probably hear all the construction <laughs> around us, and yes. I appreciate that you came over this morning to sort of grab me at this initial s- stage of, of just starting out here in the phase center. So sure. to hear all the drills and that, that's these guys in the, in the background doing all that. And it's, it's a construction site. But, you know, as we, these electricians or the people you hear in the background, it's okay for most people to be able to take an electric kettle or a coffee maker and plug it into an electrical circuit. Say, that's all I need to know. Just plug it in and it'll work. Just press the button and it works. But you know what? If you're an electrician like these guys that are making all that noise at the moment out there, you understand electricity, you understand the laws of it, you understand how it works. You can do more than just plug an electric kettle or a coffee shop or a coffee machine into it. You can take a socket and put it out in your porch. You can take a, an extension and run it down the bottom of your garden. And I mean, you can just start to play around with this stuff because you understand how it works. Mm-hmm. Most people are afraid of it. Most people won't touch it. But see, when you understand it, you can utilize it. Yes. The word of God, if it's understood, can be applied to your everyday life, utilized, and then you're so hungry to come back next Sunday or the next Bible study and say, Awesome. Tell me what's next. And my job is to bring that understanding. It is such an important element. Mm-hmm. The Bible you can buy, sit on your coffee table, put it under your arm, put it in your car, but you really won't know how to apply that to your life until somebody brings some understanding. That's what I do. Oh, that sounds so good. Okay, so I love the lens of God as Abba, Father, Dad, or Papa. A loving, welcoming, open-arms Father who doesn't want your obedience but your heart. One of your Bible Optics students said, I can approach God as my father, walk into the throne room, and get a high five from God. Is that type of relationship really possible? Oh, absolutely. In, in the Old Testament, when people approached God, because of, because of the issue, because of the sin issue, God gave us the, the law. The whole purpose of the law was not to keep it. You can't keep it. It was never meant to keep it. Oh, it's like how many? Like well, 600 and something? 613. Uh, I mean, he gave them 10 initially, and then he gave them some, <laughs> you know, hygienic laws and so on and so forth, all sorts of different stuff. And then they sort of expanded it out to 613. And, and they couldn't be kept. Mm-hmm. I, mean, I mean, do dogs bark? Yes. And do cows moo? <laughs> and do cats meow? And sinners sin? sin. It's what we do. And, and it just it was in our nature because we inherited it from Adam. And the whole purpose of the law wasn't for us to keep it, but to show us our flaws, to mm-hmm. show us that there was an issue. And so you'd bring a sacrifice and say, hey, God, I'm sorry, you know, let's, let's sort of, let's put this under the, mm-hmm. the blood. Something dies when I sin. Something innocent has to be sacrificed because of what i just done. Hey, you know what? I get it because I, I keep having to come back. And you know what? I thought I was done. I sort of sacrificed this and... I was bold or I did that, and I'm sorry. You know what? Two days from now, I'll be back in again with another one, and and I'll get the message. Not that you have a problem, God. I'm the one with the problem. And so (laughs) for approach to God, they would have to come and... Because we're human. Yes. And and so God set up this system. Here's the system. The system was, you did something wrong. You learned this lesson that when you do something wrong, there's a price to pay for that. That price is death. But you know what? Instead of you dropping over dead because you did something, God said, let's, let's work this out this way. Let me teach you how this works. You bring something innocent. You pass your sin to that innocence. You kill it. 
It sheds its blood. It's sacrificed on your behalf. And we put it all under the carpet for no. And then we sort of, we'll have a, a relationship, but this is always in the background because it's an issue. And so they would come with their sacrifice to the front of the temple and certain guys were qualified to do it and they took the sacrifice and they did or whatever. But you could not get in to see God. Even then, only certain people could get into the tabernacle and that was to the front half. And then at the back half where the, the mercy seat was, where God actually came down to dwell with them in the pillar of fire or pillar of cloud, you could not go in there. Only one person could go in there once a year and that was a high priest. And if he had anything wrong in his life... He dropped dead when he went in because, you know, just it, it, it was just the rules of the game. In fact, uh, one of the historians at the turn of, in, in Jesus' day and explaining the Jewish faith to the Roman culture explained that, uh, you know, this high priest, when he went into the Holy of Holies, which it was called where the mercy seat was, they'd tie a rope around his foot in case he did drop dead because nobody could go in and get him, so they had to drag him out from under the curtain. That was the way it was. You just couldn't go in there and... And only one man did, and when he did, he had to have his ducks in a row or they were pulling him out from underneath the, the curtain. That was the way it was. Jesus came and became that death for our sins. Jesus came and became that innocence dying for our guilt. Jesus came and became the sacrifice for all the things I'd done wrong. But he didn't go into that tabernacle that was down that, that Moses built, which was only a copy of an original one, which is in heaven. Jesus went to heaven itself, went up into the Holy of Holies where God himself is seated, not, not, not the model, the original. Mm-hmm. And he went up there with his blood, not the blood of bulls and goats, but his own blood, and he offered it to God as a sacrifice for me, for you, for all of us. Mm-hmm. And God said, life for life, blood for blood, I accept it. And mm-hmm. he took it. And he, he made a way for us, the Bible says in Hebrews 10. He made a new and a living way for us. Whereas in the Old Testament, you could only come as far as the gate. You had to do all the ritual. He said, Jesus did away with that. He, he, we can now approach God completely differently. So, in a new birth experience, if I was to go back to the days of Moses, mm-hmm. I could walk right past the front gate, and they'd all sort of be like, without a sacrifice, without a goat, without a dove, without anything, and they'd all sort of look, and say, where's he going? And I'd walk right past the front gate, walk right into the compound, walk right past the priest, walk right past the, the level where they washed because it was a bloody affair, walk past the altar where they were offering up the fats and so on and so forth, walk up to this little, well, not little, it was, a, it was a tent. It was 90 feet long, 30 feet wide, and 45 feet high. But I'd push back the curtains and I'd walk into the holy place. In there, there was a candelabra, there was showbread, there was an altar of incense. And only the priesthood, the le- certain of the Levites could go in there. But I'd walk in there and they'd say, where is he going? Mm. And not alone that, the Levites themselves would be shocked. And say, He's not even a Levite, for goodness sake. He's from Ireland. And he walked straight. And not alone would I walk in there. I would then push back through the next set of curtains into the Holy of Holies. And I'd walk in there and I'd sit up on the mercy seat and I'd sit down and I'd just sit. And they'd all be waiting for the thud. They'd all be waiting for the fallout. They'd all be waiting for the bolt of lightning. And then they'd hear me in there talking. They'd hear me in there worshiping. They'd hear me in there and say, what is going on? How can he do that? Yeah. And I could walk right out and walk straight back, and they'd all look at me and think, how can he do that? I can do that because of what Jesus done. Mm-hmm. He made a new and living way for me to approach God. And the relationship with God is not that of, a, you know, I'm a sinner and he is righteous. 
And the Bible says that through Jesus Christ, I've been born again and I've been recreated in righteousness and true holiness. Mm. So I have a relationship. It's like my son Adam coming in to our home. And, I mean, if, Raina, if you saw Adam coming into our house today and, and when he wrapped the door and I opened the front door, you opened it, say, hey, there's someone at your door. Say, oh, let him in. And they open the door and you see Adam crawl in on all, you know, on, on his face and his, on his bottom lip. And he comes in, he said, Dad, listen, you know, hey, I love you, Dad. And I, I'm just, I just called over because, you know, I'm just wondering, can, can I have something out of the refrigerator, please? I just, I'm hungry. You would, you would automatically think, what is wrong with that relationship? Uh, yeah. What sort of a father-son relationship is that? Mm -hmm. But I'll tell you what, if you're ever sitting in our house, Adam doesn't need to knock the door. Adam will just come in. He has actually got a key for the door. Adam will come in, and what Adam normally does is he just goes straight to the refrigerator. Adam <laughs> doesn't ask. He just eats what's in it. When Lucy used to do the grocery shopping, we used to laugh because Adam used to come over, and when, when we would pack everything away, Adam would just come, and then for the next several days, he would just eat. <laughs> he ate everything that we had. He never <laughs> asked, didn't need to. He was his son. Yeah. Our relationship with God's like that. It is, it is just a loving, he, he loves us. And the thing about the right hand of the Father where Jesus sits, there was a time when the Godhead, God the Father, God the Son, God the mm -hmm. Spirit, person at the right hand of God the Father was God the Son. Mm -hmm. The person at the right hand of God the Father today is a human being. Mm -hmm. His name is Jesus. He represents me. He represents you. He looks like me. He looks like you. Mm -hmm. He understands me. He understands you. And the person sitting beside the right hand of my Heavenly Father today is not a spirit. It's a human being. Yes. And he represents me. And the Bible says in Ephesians, I'm seated in him at the right hand of my father. So when my father looks at me, he sees Jesus. So, no, it's an absolutely awesome relationship. It is a free and easy, loving, caring, compassionate ministry um, and relationship that most people don't understand. Mm -hmm. Most Christians today are coming into God on their bottom lip. Yeah. And I'm not saying you come in with an arrogance, but God certainly wants you to come right. in with a faith that Jesus did enough. Yeah. Jesus did it all. Yeah, and that whole uh, I'm not worthy mindset, I mean, that's that's just so wrong because we're all... understanding what was done. Right. So here you come in on your bottom lip and God's going, hey, they were coming in on the bottom lip before Jesus died. Yeah. That's the way they did it. Why are you coming in? I mean, did, did we not do something for you? Mm -hmm. Did we not change the status quo? Did we not equip you? And, and take your sin consciousness and put righteousness consciousness in. Did we not do something or do you not have faith that we did? Oh, I believe that you did, but here I come on the bottom lip. Lord, if you if you just look down at me, the weak me, the sinner me, and you know, in your goodness, if you would just open your tight fist and get... It's an insult, really. Yeah. And people turn around and say, but you don't know what the sort of person I am. No, 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 hold on. You don't know what Jesus done for you. That's mm -hmm. what you want. It's not, you say, but yeah. you don't know where I came from. No, excuse me. You don't know what Jesus done for you. Yeah. That's the problem. So, yeah, religion has us on our bottom lip still. Mm -hmm. and Jesus has us seated at the right hand of his heavenly father. It's a different relationship. So different. That was fantastic. So in a person's walk of faith, you challenge us not to be content to be consumers, but disciples of the gospel. What do you mean by that? The best advertisement for anything. I mean, it's one thing for me to talk about a certain product or a certain item. Mm -hmm. I can talk about it all day long because it's convinced me. 
But in order to convince the other person, as much and all as I talk about it, the best conviction for them is to try it. Here you go, try it. You know, you go to a showroom, a car showroom, and the first thing the guy's going to do is open that new car with the smell oh. of that new leather, and he's going to put you sitting in and say, hey, just sit in and have a wee try. And I thought, you know, you just went to look. Yeah, just looking, just looking. He said, no, 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 come here, come here, come here, come here. Just sit in it. You know Smell what he's it. doing. Smell that leather, yeah. look at that, feel that comfort. And all of a sudden, your imagination starts to paint a picture. I look good in this, I like this. And all of a sudden, it lifts you to another level. And then they say, take it for a wee test drive. And then you drive it around. And, and what has happened is your experience is convincing you that you've got to have this. Many times, you know, you can't get a person to come to a study or you can't just say, hey, look, read what the Bible says, whatever. The greatest advert that God has for the truth of what God has done and God is, is us. Mm-hmm. We become, Paul said, the living epistle. People don't read the Gospel of John. There are people in your office, there's people in your workspace. They, they're not interested. They're just not interested. They're not religious. They, you know, life is whatever life is and they don't feel a need for God at this juncture <laughs> in their life. But let me tell you, every time you walk into the office and living the Christian life, living under the power of that newborn experience, you become that gospel of John to them. You become a living epistle. They're not reading the book, but they are reading the book. The Bible puts it this way. It says, and the word became flesh. You say, what does that mean? That means what was in the book became natural what was in the book became practical and so when the word says when it says and the word became flesh and dwelt among us what that was literally saying is we were reading about it reading about it reading about it but now we see it it's there it's in flesh but that wasn't just for jesus and about jesus this word needs to become flesh in me and flesh in you these promises of god that are in christ are all yes and amen and so the best advert we have for the book that we're reading is that we live it out in our lives. And the joy that we read about, we have it. And the peace that we read about, we have it. And the forgiveness that we've received, we give it. And the love that we've downloaded, we share it. And so we become the living epistle. We become the word made flesh, dwelling among all the guys in your office, all the girls in your environment. And so it, it's, it's so important that we don't just read this thing that, but we, we become the advert of it. We are the, you know, the best advert, as I said, is people telling people telling people. Mm-hmm. It's one thing for, as I said, people to recommend it, but until you've tried it, you'll never know. So that's why I encourage people to come. And, and that's why we try to train people to go into the world that we're living in and not tell people just come to our environment, but hey, live what you're learning. In all you're getting, get wisdom. Just apply this stuff to your life People in the office one day will come and say, hey, you know, I always thought you were weird and strange and whatever, but I hear you go to one of them holy things, and we're having an issue at home. I'm having an issue with the kids. Mm-hmm. I'm not a very religious person, but do you think maybe you could say a little prayer? Do you think maybe you could have a little bit of influence on this extraterrestrial that you talk about? Mm-hmm. Sure. Pray prayers, agree with them. I'll tell you, it's not too long before people start to gravitate to a life that has hope and joy and to a marriage that is healthy and, yeah. and happy and to children that are wholesome and balanced. And it's not long. I mean, it's not hard in a very 
broken world to live this life and make a difference if you just live it and for people to see it they'll see it yeah. and we just got to live it yeah not not in the building when we come to church and then be something different when we right come. but but live it because we've got the knowledge got the understanding and now we're applying it to our everyday life this mm-hmm. stuff works it's it's awesome it's so good So the call for those attending Bible Optics starts with the Word of God. I know the bigger vision of the ministry is to ultimately help move people into action so they may do what God has equipped them to do. Evangelism, discipleship, care of the poor and needy. That's where it really gets good, don't you think? When we are able to give ourselves away in service to others. I I agree. You know, let me just say this. There's a lot of goodness in the world. I think sometimes people think that Christians have got to be the goodest people in the world, if you know what I'm saying. And so when we automatically think of being Christian, we automatically think that being a Christian is to be benevolent. I mean, when we talk about showing Christian love, we automatically think of third world countries and people that don't have what we have or have, aren't as fortunate as we are. And we think, you know what, the true sign of Christian love and the Christian message, the fulfillment of the mature Christian believer is to grab a missions trip and head off to the darkest, deepest, whatever, mm-hmm. and live, you know, way below your comfort levels. And you come back, and there's nothing wrong with that. Don't get me wrong. That is an absolutely awesome thing to do. But did you know there's a mission field behind a lot of electric gates and closed environments? Mm-hmm. There is as needy, maybe have a lot of things that other people don't have, but are as lonely and are as hurt, and are as fearful, and are as broken, and are as dismayed. And a lot of times, as I said, we automatically think that, you know, if we're going to be benevolent or going to do the Christian thing, we've got to go to this aspect of it. But let me tell you, there's the other aspect. It swings and right, you know, there's two ends to this thing. And the mission field might be just down the street. The mission field might be just up at that cul-de-sac or that development or whatever. Mm -hmm. That mission field might be that office down the bottom of the hallway that you never get called into, but you get to serve in that office and often wonder what goes on in there. Yes. You don't know what's going yeah. on in there, but God does. And you're not in that environment for nothing. Mm-hmm. And to be a, a benevolent or, or to be a Christian doesn't mean that you got to just go to the mission field. That is your mission field, mm-hmm. where you are at. And I'm not saying, you know, I, 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 to me, missionaries and people who, who actually go to that other end of the spectrum, they are the heroes of church because they're dropping sure. a lot of stuff to go. So I, I always say to people, look, at, if you don't go, send. If you're not going to go there, send somebody that is willing to go there. Mm-hmm. And, you know, to me, they are the heroes of, of the, the local church because that is not an attractive arena. But please understand, too, that there are other aspects to the mission field. And, you know, a lot of people living out their Christian faith is a, is a mission field where you work, where you, where you take your kids to, to football or, you know, to ballet classes or music lessons. You are a constant witness. You're a constant, and God wants us to activate this stuff into our everyday life. You know, the outworking of the Christian faith is really for those who understand that they are actively evangelists. Mm-hmm. They are actively involved in depicting and portraying the message of the gospel everywhere they go. And so when I go out this week, I don't know what I'm going to face or who I'm going to face it with. Mm-hmm. I don't know what needs are going to arise or, or what issues I'm going to have to talk about or whatever. But I do know this i got to get here the next time the book is open to find out what it's all about mm-hmm. because I just don't know when I'm going to need it. So I'm going to have my notebook out and I'm going to take notes and I'm going to learn what this means because I need it next week and I need it the week after and I need it the week after right. that. 
So talking about activating Christians, you know, sometimes people just want to put money in an offering bucket and send somebody else to do it. Right. Now, activation comes when you realize you're the one that was called to do it. And wherever it is you are is your mission field. But a lot of people don't understand that. Sure. And God equips each of us in unique ways to reach people differently. I mean, we're not all called to travel across the ocean and serve in that way. But I agree that we just need to be aware of, of the brokenness around us and, and respond when, when we, and, and to be brave enough to respond because so many people are just like, you know, kind of timid about, about activating that faith. And, and you know, there, as I said earlier, there's a lot of goodness in the world. God didn't call us. Let me just say this, and I hope this doesn't come across wrong. God didn't call us to just do social activity, if you understand what I'm saying. In that, you know, there's a lot of people out there doing social work, and they do it a lot better than we're doing it because they have a passion for it. There are a lot of people doing soup kitchens and helping people maybe that, that have problems, you know, you know, doing life better. I mean, I'm for all of that. I'm not saying we shouldn't be involved in that. We should be. But to think that that's all it is we're supposed to be doing, that we're supposed to get our Christian walk is just a bunch of do-good things. Mm-hmm. It, it's not. That is included in it. Being merciful and compassionate and understanding and giving and caring. That's, that's, an outward, that's an overflow of it. But our activity is living this life 24-7, wherever it is we are, with our own family. We're not two different people. You know, one thing in front of people and a different person at home. We're the same person. We're, just, yeah. we're living a life. We're activated to, we're, we're all activated to ministry. We're all called to go into all the world mm-hmm. and administer this gospel and help mature, bring people to maturity in this relational connect we have with God. So, yes, all the benevolence, yes, all the charity work, yes, all of the good things, yes, all of the help, yes, do all of that. But there's people that aren't even Christians and they're already doing that. Yeah. So, for us to turn around and think that that's all we're supposed to do, and there's people doing that already better than we are as Christians. Yeah. But you know what? Yes, do that for sure. But please understand the activation of our life doesn't wait for just benevolence in those Mm-hmm. It means going to the neighbor next door, living that life in front of the people in your office, the CEO and those other people that you may not even think they have everything in life, but in actual fact, they need Jesus more than other people. Oh, don't we all? Yeah. Well, let's get back to the Bible study. And I'd love to know what's going to make this unique from other Bible studies, your Bible optics. Bible optics? Well, you know what? I think for a lot, and I don't know it all, so let me just throw that out there immediately. You know, you're not coming to the source of all wisdom. And I'm, I'm still learning. I'm still growing. I'm still developing. I'm still teasing out the same things. When my optic changes, believe me, it changes a whole lot of other stuff. Uh, do I get it all right? No, I'm not. I don't pontificate in there where I'm, you know, everything I say is the word. But I, I, I encourage and I love the opportunity to discuss it and have the pushback. I, I, love, the, I love to create the tension if there is going to be a tension. But mm-hmm. let's, as, you know... One of the ministries here in in, in, uh, in Alpharetta would always make the statement, you know, give attention to the tension. Uh, why do I have that tension? Why do I push back at that? So, you know, let, let's let's create an environment where we can sit and have a talk. Yes. Uh, hey, I don't. I know you don't agree. I know uh-huh. you, you maybe don't see it the way I see it. But hey, let's talk about it at least. I don't. I don't even claim that I know it all. But I would like to hear. And talk about it, and and let's discuss it from your perspective. Hey, mm-hmm. why don't you just throw your stuff in the kitty here? Let's talk about it. So these studies are more than a dictatorial. I know everything. You got to listen because I have it right. That's not what it's about. 
it's, you know what, I have a passion for this thing and it works for me. I want to share it. Mm-hmm. I want it to work for you. I, I want my, my whole life's journey is to die empty. Mm-hmm. I want to get rid of what I got. <laughs> but you know what? I don't got it all, so to speak. So, hey, I, I'm willing to sit and have the conversation about whatever. And why do I believe what I believe uh, the way I believe it? And you know what? If you can help me see that better or clearer, mm-hmm. hey, let's have the conversation. But you know what? If I can help you, let me do that for you too. But let's not... That's not like two spoiled children standing both ends of the room at the corner and say, I'm not talking to you because I don't agree with what you do. Right. And, and oh. someone on the other side says, well, I'm upset with you. Hey, guys, people are watching us. Mm-hmm. There's a world watching the church. And you can go down the street and have three different buildings and they all worship the same God and they won't even talk to each other. I mean, come on. So Why are the world not kicking our door in to come in? It's because they don't see what we think that they see. They see us for what we are. And so I want Bible Optics to be that neutral ground. Mm-hmm. I want it to be a healthy environment where we are open yes. to a healthy conversation and not just one that's based on you know, traditional uh, religious optic, but somewhere where we sit down and say, well, you know what, I'm, I'm willing to talk about this mm-hmm. and I'm willing to change if I find something better, if you can show it to me. Um, and it's consistent with what God's word says, and it doesn't contradict what God is saying, mm-hmm. and it's producing. You know, at the end of the day, Raina, you judge a tree by the production. So you can call yourself an orange tree, but if you're producing apples, you're not an orange tree. <laughs> yeah. I'm a Christian, I'm a Christian, but if you're bigoted and bitter and condescending and mm-hmm. condemning and isolated and insulated and separated, you're just not a Christian. But you can call one. You can hang the label outside the door and say, hey, we're a Christian. That doesn't make you a Christian. It's the fruit you bear that makes you one. Mm. So let's find a neutral environment. Let's find a healthy environment where we can have the discussion. Hey, we don't talk to you because you do this, and we don't talk to you because you do that. And, and you get this pendulum swing. Yeah. So any, any pendulum swing, any extreme is wrong. Mm-hmm. The Bible says in Proverbs, God loves a healthy balance. So... I want Bible optics to be that healthy environment. Mm. Let's sit down and talk. Hey, put your hand up if you don't agree. Yeah. In fact, if you don't agree, let's. what do you want me to address? Like we did this morning. Several hands went up and several people said, hey, I don't understand. What was this thing Paul was saying? I mean, you're saying the sin issue is dealt with, and yet First John 1, 9 says, if you confess your sin, he's faithful and just. What's that? Why? Mm-hmm. Great question. Let's yeah. talk about it. Yeah. Let's deal with it. Let's see what the scriptures say about it. And you know what? If anybody else can contribute something, maybe from another optic that might help mine mm-hmm. and help others, then hey, let's let's throw it in the kit. But let's have a talk. Yeah. And let's discuss this. But let's not hide and isolate ourselves. And it's, uh, the world's watching us, and we we're not there yet. We haven't got it all, and I don't know it all. But I want to create an environment mm-hmm. where we can have the conversation, and fix our optics, and and be what God wants us to be. Yeah. And I love the community that is going to be created through Bible optics too. When you, when you have such a safe environment to have conversations like that, it bonds people together. And I think that the benefit of that is just, um, it's so beautiful as well. Yeah, I agree hundred percent. And I'm hoping that that's what we do here on our Thursday nights and our Saturday mornings and mm-hmm. our main Bible study here on Tuesday mornings. And I hope people will come and they're welcome. Um, and the only you know, all we ask of you is just bring your book and bring an open mind with you. Yeah. 
and uh, and let's talk. Let's see what God says about it. So awesome. So what would you say to the person who doesn't believe there is a God or who has somehow lost their faith along the way? Well, you know, people don't believe for different reasons. Mm-hmm. People who feel maybe they have a need. People's life is going great right now. And, uh, hey, I hope it goes great for all people all the time, but such is life. It's just mm-hmm. not. After a while, you know, you get to the summits or the, you know, the achievements of, of your aspirations when you discover that it's not all as fulfilling as it seems to be. People are on journeys, mm-hmm. um, and not everybody's ready to listen. But, hey, when you are ready to listen, there's somebody going to be speaking, there's somebody going to be talking. So you've got you to gotta respect people who are on their journey, and some people just don't believe, some people aren't there yet. And God was good enough, Jesus was good enough to say to people, hey, follow me, mm-hmm. and hey, believe after. None of the disciples that followed Jesus were believers, what he called them. Yeah. Every single one of them mm-hmm. were unbelievers. In fact, he told them stuff and they didn't understand it. In fact, he told them stuff and they didn't believe it. <laughs> None of them. He didn't pick a believer. There was not one believer on the team. Mm-hmm. They became believers. And so if you're out there and you're skeptical and whatever, hey, I understand that because I was there. Yeah. We all were. I just came to a place on my journey where I was looking for answers and I found them in Christ. Mm-hmm. And I just want you to know that, hey, maybe you're skeptical or maybe you've had a bad church experience or maybe you've looked at some of the, the fruit-bearing Christians and you <laughs> thought, I don't like any of that fruit. Yeah. You know what? I understand that too. And if you're disgruntled or discouraged or dismayed that that's the production and you think, well, God, is that what it's all about? No, it's not. Mm-hmm. It's not. And, you know, there are great demonstrations and ministrations and productions of, of God's goodness in people's lives. And so, look, come. Have the conversation. Let's talk. But if you're not there in your journey yet, hey, I want you to know we're there when you're ready. Yeah, We're there when you're ready to have the conversation, when you want to know. And if you are out there listening to you know this conversation, you're thinking, well, you know what? I'm not necessarily there, but hey, enjoy the conversation. I'd like to have a talk. Mm-hmm. Then come on. Yeah. Come on down and have a talk. Come down, sit in, listen, and let's talk. And, and hey, you know what? God's got a conversation for you if you're willing to have the conversation with him. Um, so, yeah, please, we invite you. Come. Yeah. So good, Hassan. One, one last question for you. I could just sit here and chat all day long. So the word relevate means to uplift or inspire. In closing, what words do you have for our audience as it relates to faith and falling in love with the word of God? I think it's the greatest thing God has given us. And outside of all the spirituality and spookiness and whatever, there's one thing that is absolutely, to me awesome and that's the word change Mm -hmm. change is your guarantee that nothing has to stay the same yes can you imagine if some of the dictators that preceded our generation were still alive today and there was no change can you imagine where the world would be Mm. if if there was no change can you imagine if some people got a hold of the world or or a government or an authority or a resource and never changed Mm mm-hmm where, where would we be? Thank God that change uh, yes, comes. Yes. Change is our guarantee that nothing stays the same. Change, no matter what you're going through, even if it is a tough period or a hard patch, maybe you're facing something right now in your life, in your physiology or your marriage or relationships or your kids, and you think, oh, my God, the world is falling apart. Listen, the greatest thing we can 
have is change. Mm-hmm. Change is mm-hmm. a guarantee. It's not always going to be the same. Hang in there. Don't exit, for goodness sake. Yes. Don't bail out. There's always hope. Mm-hmm. Because change guarantees us that it will not always be this way. It can be and will be better. And so I love change because without change, I wouldn't be sitting here today. Yes. Without change, I would be <laughs> stuck where I was. Mm-hmm. But I'm not stuck where I was. And I've learned that no matter what it looks like, God can change it. Yeah. It's changed. So whatever you are, whatever you're facing, whatever your stance is, whatever your position is, I, I just think that the greatest thing God has given us is change. Mm-hmm. He doesn't change. He's the Lord God and he changes not. Mm-hmm. He's the same yesterday, today, and forever. He's the constant. Because he doesn't need to change. Right. But we do. We don't get it right. We're not there yet. Yeah. But you know what? Change is our guarantee that he'll take us on a journey to get us there. So don't give up. Don't dismay. Don't despair. Just say, hey, God, thank you. The change is my portion. Seasons are your, your uh, uh, awareness. Age is your awareness. Every time you look in the mirror, there's a change. Yeah. So look, I'm changing for a Hey, what's the alternative? Yeah. Thank God for change. So, you know what? If you're out there, I would just say one of the greatest things God has given us is change. Mm-hmm. And, and don't be afraid of it. No, not at all. It's, mm-hmm. our, it's our friend. Yes. It changes your friend. Mm-hmm. And if you're in a position or a situation or in a, in, in a belief system right now and it's upsetting or not producing, hey, that's yeah. not the end of it. There's change yes. for all of us. So I love the word. I love the, I love the transition in change. It's, it's, it's healthy. Mm-hmm. Thank God for it. Well, Hassan, I enjoyed this conversation so much. Thank, Thank you. you for what you're doing for my son, for our church, for this community and for the world and helping us change our optics. It's really such a pleasure to to have this conversation and to get to know you better. Thank you so much. It was a great privilege. Thank you. you. Be blessed. Thank you. So I get it. Many of us struggle with faith and religion for any number of reasons. But just because faith didn't work for you at one time in your life doesn't mean it can't work for you now. I hope Hassan's words encourage you to give faith a chance and to pick up your Bible, our handbook for humanity. As Hassan said, change is good, and maybe it's our optics that need to be adjusted in order to see more clearly. Atlanta and Alpharetta friends, you're invited to his Bible optics classes on Tuesday morning at 7.30 a.m., which is an all-men's group, And then co-ed classes are held on Thursday night at 6.30 and Saturday morning at 8.30. All Bible optics classes are held at the brand new Faith Center near Avalon and Alpharetta. Check out their website to learn more. That's BibleOptics.org. I'll be there, Bible app in hand, ready to receive knowledge and understanding from the wise Bible teacher from Ireland. I hope to see you there as well. I'm Rena Olson, and this is Relevate.